Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to an episode dedicated to those frighteningly fun times when multiple classic monsters get together. We're calling it Monster Mash, in deference to that influential song that starts with a creaking door and laboratory sounds. As we discuss the song, please forgive my continual misuse of the word mash. The Monster Mash is a dance move, Though more than once, I use mash to mean a party, or some kind of happening, or hootenanny. Mia culpa. And now, please enjoy Boys and Ghouls episode 30. It's a graveyard smash that caught on in a flash. It's Monster Mash. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. undead. So you ever Some talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Not the third switch! Give my creation! That was for the powdered cheese, which I didn't use, naturally. Right. Uh, so I figured I had a while longer for the pasta. <clears throat> um, hey, Kat. Hey, Marshall. I don't know if you have different spooky gab from me or the same. I have different spooky gab from you. Okay. Well, you first. Well, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, Mike, who listens to this podcast. Mm-hmm. And he told me the other day that he had a nightmare about boys and ghouls. Go on. This is what he says. I was listening to the podcast and I found out that Marshall had been dead for a couple of years. That I, means the podcaster was his ghost. Uh, well, he says, okay. and I was freaked out that he was still talking with you. Like he was listening to the podcast. And then I don't know if one of us mentioned it or something or he found or maybe he was like, looking on the internet, and he saw your obituary or something, and he's like, how am I still listening to a new episode? Wow. He says, I was freaked out. I've never out. met this guy, by the way. No. So he asked me in, in the nightmare, like, how is it that you still have new episodes because Marshall's dead? And I said, oh, I just conjure you back. Okay. To record episodes. That I, like, chant something, and you come back, and we record, and that's how that works. As opposed to taking old episodes and splicing them and... No, we're recording words. new stuff. That's how I keep you alive, I imagine. I would uh, go back into old Boys and Ghouls episodes. And make me say things like, I think Marshall's the strongest, coolest guy in the whole world. Like that? Yeah, like that. <laughs> or I'd, Which I'd, I could just say for you now. You just did. Yeah. Um, or I'd say something and be like, I agree with everything you say. <laughs> yes. You're very, 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 very smart. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, well, that, that was Marshall's uh, nightmare. nightmare. Gab. Almost should have saved it for plugs, because what a plug. Yeah. Boys and Gold's podcast, it'll give you nightmares. <laughs> well, it'll work your way into your dream. Was it really a nightmare, exactly? He said he was really freaked out, because like he's listening and he realizes you're dead. We will unsettle your dreams. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he was pretty spooked by it. He said it was a pretty scary nightmare. Well, Marshall Hicks here, alive and well, coming to you from this realm. What is your gab? In fact, I know what your gab is going to be. 
Kat and I took a little trip to Universal Studios because they, by now, have closed their House of Horrors. <sighs> formerly the Van Helsing Maze, formerly the Mummy Maze. I don't know what it was before that. My first memory of the Universal House of Horrors, when I was about 16 or 17, my father had moved to a suburb of Los Angeles a few years prior, and so I'd come out here and visit for summers and spring breaks and things, and we'd go to a lot of the parks, and I really loved Universal Studios. But I did not have a very good history with haunted houses. I didn't like them at all. We had, like, really backwoodsy type, like, haunted trail through the woods kind of things growing up in my hometown. I still loved horror movies, but I hated walking through things. I just didn't like it. And maybe some of that had to do with the fact that in those kinds of things, like, I probably knew half the people who were working them, so they probably targeted me. And Flash forward 15 years, and one of the times that we went through, I think somebody from... Did you ever figure it out? No. No one's come forward to me. I think somebody from your old T2 days recognized you while they were dressed as Frankenstein and chased you out of the Frankenstein room through the no-frills off-brand Texas Chainsaw room where it's a sort of meat guy. And outside the And outside. And then I think I ran ahead of you. Yeah, you did. I did. Kind of left you there. Yep. We were then outside in the sunlight and he just stood in the doorway like shaking his finger like a uh-uh-uh. Yeah. I still don't know who that was. Wow. Okay. So anyway, my point with all of that is just that when I was 16 or 17, my dad kind of pressured me to go through the House of Horrors, but I came out of it like shaking. He's like, wasn't that fun? I'm like, no, I did not enjoy myself. You've since then toughened up a bit. Oh, yeah. Well, what happened is years later, I had been looking at walkthroughs of the various mazes at Halloween Horror Nights, things like, I think there was one called The Life and Crimes of Michael Myers, and there was a Freddy, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Never Sleep Again, and there was a Mm -hmm. Kill Jason Kill, and there were all these classic, you know, for my childhood, monsters. And I got sort of getting really upset with myself that I was missing out on this stuff, and that I'd already missed them. And then the 2011 Universal Terror Tram was Scream for Your Life. And I was, it was already up to then that you were finally said. I was determined at that point when I saw that, I was like, okay, I've missed all these other people. I cannot miss the opportunity to get chased around by Ghostface. I should enjoy this and I can enjoy this and I'm going to enjoy this. So I went, I took Daniel Montgomery and he was a very comforting presence. He loves haunted houses and stuff. And he was just like, you're going to be fine. So I just leaned into it mentally and like I couldn't have eaten for two hours after I was done just from all the adrenaline and like terror but from that moment on I've loved it ever since then but but my first kind of like broke the seal on your fear it did but House of Horrors that first time I went through it was part of my disdain for it I just hated it but over the years I grew you know like after that point then I would love going through the House of Horrors and you know I've probably been through a couple dozen times and for the last time went through with you. I did like the idea that accessible all year in Los Angeles was a walkthrough horror yes, maze. Yeah. You know, 365. So for its passing, we decided to go and then just go through it a bunch of times. A bunch wound up being three, although one of yeah. them we really milked. Yeah, we, we did. We were going to go fourth, but it closed a little earlier than we thought it was going to. But first time through, pretty scary. Uh, second time we could kind of predict a few of the things. Even still, my second time through, I, I turned to you and said, like, God, I think one of those, that statue is real. And you're like, I don't know. Yeah, I said, I don't think I it is, Marshall. I've been here, through here twice now. It hasn't moved. And then on the third time, it just moved a little bit. And you're like, Marshall! I said, you were right. You're oh, right. my God. 
Was it our second or third time that we decided to just like stop on a catwalk? It was the third time. The third time, or then last time, uh, we decided to stop on a catwalk and just sort of watch people get scared beneath us. In the, uh, the like laboratory, yeah. yeah. And where there was like an Igor and a Frankenstein. And we just sort of hung out just watching the people down below. It was so much fun. Yeah, we would watch uh, Frankenstein just scare a person, scare a person, mix it up, scare a person. And then people would just sort of like walk past us. Sometimes they'd stop and see what we were looking at. And just right. Groups of people would walk by us. And then the people stopped coming. And I was like, oh, they'll start again in a second. Then yeah. what became concerning is when no one was coming in behind us anymore. Then no one and came. we saw no one down below. Yeah. And suddenly we're alone, we're alone, we're alone. We don't see characters. You're saying to me, you don't think that they're going to shut down for a little while and we're alone in here, do you? And I was like, no. And then we waited another like solid three minutes, which was a really long time. And no one had come through. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess from just episodes of Scooby-Doo, you'll learn young that the really haunted places are spook houses during their off times. So at some point we realized no one's coming and we're going to just get shut down in here or something. And then the real ghosts are going to come out. You just said... You want to run? And I was yeah. like, okay. And for a couple of people who were becoming blasé about the spook house, I then grabbed your hand and we ran in tandem through th- like three of the rooms. Yeah. Which were then unmanned. Down the stairs, through the rooms, no one around. Almost scarier when no one's around. Because like the guy who, you know, just a guy in a mask, wasn't even there to come out and say right. boo. At which point I literally became afraid of my own reflection. Mm-hmm. We entered that little mirror section. Oh yeah. I saw myself. And I cut an imposing figure. I was like, ah! Yep. <laughs> and then, Which we, is what those mirrors are there for, by then the way. Then we, we managed to catch up with uh, the tail end of the group. It was a really nice way to say goodbye, that was. Just by, by being actually really afraid? spooking ourselves out. Yeah. Totally. And which I think speaks to our enthusiasm and, and all of which, that. Which, which is no matter way, how is... jaded you are, you can still get scared. Genuinely scared. This government feels obliged to report this new crisis to you in fullest detail. Several of them include medium-range ballistic missiles of carrying a nuclear warhead for a distance of more than 1,000 nautical miles. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. From my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast. The ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrode. Okay. Marshall. I've made you how many Halloween mix CDs? A countless number. In the most literal sense of the word countless, because I'm not sure, but I would say realistically probably a dozen. A dozen. At least. And on the first one would have been a version of the Monster Mash. Yeah. When I worked at a Halloween store, it would get played a lot. Yeah. Because every CD they had would include the Monster Mash. Right. If you had 10 Halloween songs, you had to, if you were limited one to, to 10, Monster Mash. one would have to be, no matter one's Thriller, yeah. one's the Monster Mash. Th- those two would it. definitely, I'm sure we could think of a third that would always definitely be on there, but Monster Mash is certainly one of them. And it is, for me, a karaoke favorite. 
Also, that's what I call it when I mix all of the monster cereals. When I, <laughs> into one bowl. When I get blueberry, frankenberry, and Count Chocula. Right. That's called a monster mash. Naturally. The song, though, was written by Bobby Pickett, who is credited as Bobby, quote, Boris, Boris. Pickett because of his Boris Karloff impersonation. Which is how the song is sung. Which um, makes so much more sense to me now that I've like seen some Boris Karloff films. Yeah. As a kid, I just didn't question that this was a spooky voice. Probably because it appeared everywhere, like in commercials for monster cereals. Like it just was we a really thing. We really learned about the classics kind of backwards. Yes. You know, first, you know, Frankenberry talks like this. And all right, then you hear Monster Mash and he talks like Frankenberry. And then he also talks like uh, in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And then you realize... Oh, that was a man named Boris Karloff. Right. And he was Frankenstein. Right. So, the Monster Mash. It was released in August of 1962, and Bobby Pickett had, like, a nightclub act, and one night he, like, did his Karloff impersonation on the stage, and everyone was like, Hey, Bobby, that's a good uh, Boris Karloff you got there. You should do it on on an album. Yeah. You know? People talk that way. Yeah. In the 60s. Oh, yeah. I'm not questioning it. Yeah. We have historical documents. Uh-huh. So we did. There's not a ton of fun factoids about it. The creaking door in the beginning was a nail being pulled out of wood. The chains were chains. The bubbling laboratory sounds was just some water with a straw. People, someone's just blowing bubbles into water. Oh, that's fun yeah. to know. Though when it came out uh, in... Yeah, August. Well, yeah, in August. And then the ramp up for the Halloween Which season. Which to me is not early. No, for you it's not. But it takes a while to, you know, get into the jukeboxes and sure. make its way to the DJs. Song distribution was very different. There wasn't iTunes <laughs> to just release on the internet. Yeah. yeah. You wouldn't get it at 12.01 a.m. and then all of a sudden it's everywhere. Yeah. Though, uh, October of 62, historically, ring any bells for you? The Cuban Missile Crisis. The Cuban crisis. Missile Crisis. You told me about this. I think we might have talked about this on Boys and Ghouls before briefly. Yeah. Or it was number personally one. outside of that. On the charts the week of the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was late October. Yeah. He had some follow-ups. He did Monsters Holiday like two months later for Christmas. Then he did like a rap version in 1985. Monster rap. Well, this is preposterous. Monsters (laughs) getting together to celebrate? I mean, think about how that sounds. It's ridiculous. I mean... They get together, it's going to be a terrifying battle. They're not going to get along, much less have a a bash of some kind. Bobby Pickett had a few follow-ups. Blood Bank Blues, Me and My Mummy, Werewolf Watusi, and Monster Swim. And none really made it to the charts. So why did the Monster Mash hit so big over the others? I think is because people really like the ideas of more than one monster together hanging out. Yeah. And we like when they get along, and we like them when they don't get along. Yeah. There are great things about both of those scenarios. And that's the topic of our podcast episode right now, mm-hmm. which is we're calling the Monster Mash because it's movies where more than one monster is featured. Everything's cool, there's a part of a bed. My Monster Mash is like in the bed. Yes. What'd you watch? Well, the first movie I watched, chronologically speaking, the oldest film I watched was, uh, I'm going to give the official title here. Yeah. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello meet Frankenstein. The nation's top comics, Abbott and Costello, petrified, but hilariously. 
The whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, I should have planned to watch this with Marshall, because I know you're a fan of Abbott and Costello and of this movie in particular. We can still watch that they meet Jekyll and Hyde together. Great. That one's fun, too. Great. But I was watching it going, oh, man. Like, I really, I've known for years that this is something you love. And I'm like, I guess I didn't feel guilty. It just didn't feel right. You know what I mean? Sure. Particularly because it was so much fun. It, it is a lot of fun. It was really, really fun. And, and while I had heard slash seen Who's on First yeah. before, apart from that routine, I didn't know very much about Abbott and Costello, nor had I seen other things they'd done. So this was really kind of my introduction into what they're like, you know. They're, they're dynamic. Yeah, which sure. was so fun. I know there's no such a person as Dracula. You know there's no such a person as Dracula. But does Dracula know it? Well, Kat, as you've probably figured out, the Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein was kind of the end of the monsters. Yes. Well, end of the traditional universal monsters. And it was the only other time outside of Dracula that Bela Lugosi played Dracula. That's right. He'd played other vampires in like Mark of the Vampire and things like that. But he only played Dracula for Universal in 31 and then Abbott Costello. 48. It's a pretty big gap. Yeah. He was, I think, like 60 something. He was hip and with it, though. Yeah. He was hanging in there. Yeah. So there had been other times when the monsters had met previous to that in the Universal uh, canon. There was Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. So there was Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Son of Frankenstein. And then there was the Wolfman. And then the two of them meet in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. And the Wolfman gets revived. Turns out he, he has real trouble dying. Some grave robbers try to rob his grave during a full moon. And then he wakes up in a hospital and doesn't know where he is. And like, I'm Lawrence Talbot. Why, he's been dead for three years. So he finds the gypsy from The Wolfman, mm -hmm. same actress. And she says, I cannot help you, but there is a man who can. So they go to find Dr. Frankenstein. And by then, the son of Frankenstein had already come and gone. And Frankenstein's monster, they thought he died in a fire, but they find him frozen under the castle, I want to say. I watched a lot of these movies. Yeah. They're all kind of blending for me. Yeah. So then his physician catches up with him after a long musical number, by the way. There's a nice song about wine and, and I wish you a long life. Come on and all and sing a song. Life is short, but death is long. A baroness is there, and she knows where Frankenstein's notes are. And through a lot of these movies, Dr. Frankenstein's long gone, but as long as they get a handle on his diary. Sounds like another movie I watched. Just like in Abbott Costello Meet Frankenstein, they've got to get his journal and his notes as a way to somehow cure the Wolfman. Yep. And his physician catches up with him, and they think that somehow they can hook Frankenstein's monster and the Wolfman together. They mm -hmm. thaw him out of the ice, and then at the last minute... The physician's like, who am I to mess with what Dr. Frankenstein has created? And it all just kind of falls to heck. And then the wolfman fights Frankenstein. What's that fight like? Inconclusive. Mm, uh, so because you really are. can't kill either of them. Right. So it's like, who would win in a fight? Frankenstein or the wolfman? It's like, well, kind of close to call. And then I think the dam blew up. And the monsters get wet. 
The end. Yeah. Although during Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, the Wolfman in his Lawrence Talbot form hung out with Frankenstein's monster quite a bit. And if they were still continuing with the thread of just looking for friendship, well, that would have been great. Mm-hmm. Hey, he found a friend. And, and you know, Lawrence Talbot found a guy that he can't kill. If they would have just gone off together on wacky adventures, uh, that would have been great. To- yeah, I'd pay to see that. This is awful silly stuff. On the Universal lot, the set was visited by comedians Abbott and Costello. Ah. Who got a germ of an idea that uh, they wouldn't do just yet. Because next came House of Frankenstein. Boris Karloff returns to the Frankenstein legacy as an evil scientist who assumes the role of a sideshow operator, only to revive the dapper Count Dracula and encounter a comely gypsy, the Wolfman Larry Talbot, and finally the Frankenstein monster. Uh, Karloff is in this one. Not, Not as the monster, but as a mad doctor. Now this one has Frankenstein's monster, Wolfman, and Dracula. Dracula's played by John Carradine and not Bela Gossi. Is he the mastermind in this one? Because that seems no. to be a theme. He's not. He's okay. not. It's Karloff's mad scientist character. Okay. I'm going to give that brain of yours a new home in the skull of the Frankenstein monster. They escape from the mental institution and they take over like a traveling horror show. One of their attractions is the skeleton of Dracula. And the state gets removed from the skeleton and it reconstitutes. And it's John Carradine as Dracula. Cool. And then he goes through a whole thing of enacting vengeance on behalf of Karloff on, like, the guy who condemned him to prison for trying to switch a man's brain with a dog's brain. (laughs) And then the Burgermeister gets after him, and he doesn't really make it back to his coffin in time, and he turns back into a skeleton, and that's it. Hmm. We haven't met the Wolfman. We haven't met Frankenstein. Dracula's in this movie. But he doesn't actually share any screen time with the Wolfman and Frankenstein. Got it. So then it's left for the rest of the movie to thaw out. Because again, they're now instead of just one being an ice, now they're both an ice. Uh-huh. And he thaws them both out. And Lon Chaney's like, why didn't you leave me in the ice? And it goes from there. Uh, that was House of Frankenstein, now House of Dracula. What year was that? 1945. Okay. This is all through the 40s. You see, before you a man who lived for centuries, kept alive by the blood of innocent people. John Carradine is back as Dracula, now looking for a cure for his vampirism. So he goes to like a, a kindly doctor to try to help him out. And the doctor agrees. And then like the same night, the wolfman shows up and he's looking for help on uh, recovering from being a werewolf. And in this one, like a movie we're going to talk about later uh, in Monster Squad. Hey, guys, we're going to talk about the Monster Squad. Look yeah. forward to that. He asks to be put into a jail cell and it works. As far as, like, keeping him from killing anybody. He really should have thought of that back in, like, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Just instead of traveling the countryside, just Mm -hmm. be like, every full moon, just put me in a jail cell. Yeah, Oz figured it out pretty quickly on Buffy. Right. So the doctor agrees to help Dracula and the Wolfman. And the Wolfman, fearing the full moon, jumps off a cliff at one point and winds up down in, like, the caves under the castle that they're at. And the doctor goes to look for him. And there they discover... Oh, from Quicksand. That's how one of them ends. The monster and the mad doctor go down in Quicksand together. Apparently the Quicksand kind of emptied out. I was going to say, that doesn't sound too final to me. Nope. Nope. (laughs) The Frankenstein's monster is fairly intact and the mad doctor is now a skeleton. And they just kind of emptied out in the caves. And there they find him. So he's like, hey, now I've got this guy I can help out. So this one doctor has all three. And... Dracula bites the doctor and then the doctor's like turning into a vampire 
that's new. And that's pretty cool to watch. Yeah. Like his reflection is fading. He runs out and sees like a guy he knows. He's like, oh, did I startle you? (sighs) Yeah. So that's kind of fun. But if I were to quibble, the Wolfman and Dracula, it's like they never knew how to put him in the same room. Mm -hmm. The last movie, one of them was already dead before the other one even got introduced. In this one, like literally Dracula will leave a room and then Lon Chaney will come into (laughs) it. Like they never share space together. So for your money, you got three monsters instead of one. You might not have gotten to see them all fight. You might not have always gotten to get that argument settled that, you know, who'd win in a fight, Dracula or the Wolfman? Well, Dracula can fly. But what happens if a Dracula bites a Wolfman? Wolfman bites a Dracula. Do you get Dracula Wolfman? Uh, None of that was answered. Right. And the mummy wasn't in any of them. The creature from the Black Lagoon hadn't come out yet. So he wasn't involved Mm -hmm. with any of this. But with the three of them... uh, Sharing a screen, that was pretty exciting. And what could make that more fun, except some really fun comedians. Absolutely. Mixing it up. Bring us all the way back to Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. Listen, you're making enough noise to wake up the dead. I don't have to wake him up. He's up. Pardon my complete naivete here, but I had heard that title a lot. I did not realize that they met more than Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Instead of Abbott and Costello, meet monsters. Monsters. And it was originally called Frankenstein's Brain. That's right. But they decided it wasn't funny enough of a title. I like that Frank Skinner scored this Mm -hmm. film, who also scored Son of Frankenstein in 1939. Sure. Well, they kept the music appropriate. Yeah. Which is, is good for horror comedies. And the special effects for the day were no less than the monster makeup for any of the Frankenstein or Wolfman movies. Yeah. Just because it was a comedy didn't mean they made the monsters less scary exactly. They may have been ineffective. Right. I think if you were stuck in a hotel room with a Wolfman in any of the other movies, it would have cost you your neck. <laughs> and there's one moment where Frankenstein gets startled by... Costello. He's mm-hmm. like, ugh. Yeah. But besides that, there's no making the monsters butts of the jokes. And it seems like what works is not trying to blend everything so much, but having it be their the comedic scary. elements and horror elements, and they can still crack wise as, very much. Especially as a release from, yeah. the, from the scary. Right. I mean, the thing about horror and comedy is both of those things are very difficult, I think, to achieve properly, like something that's very funny or very scary. Mm-hmm. And both depend so much on timing. So they do blend well together. They can. Yeah. A lot of comedy and a lot of horror is about the unexpected. Sure. Something surprising you. Uh, you know what's good for uh, unexpected things? Uh, Trapdoors and <laughs> spinning walls. Um, yes. And, and there's a nice moment where, okay, the... The monsters never get, like, a flower pot dropped on their heads, and they're like... Right. None of that kind of humor. But there is a nice moment where Abbott and or Costello get spun around in a wall, Mm -hmm. and from the other side, around spins Dracula, Frankenstein, and a coffin. Mm -hmm. And just the look on Belagosi's face. I don't know if it was just him as an actor just holding on as the room was spinning. Yeah. But he's got this great sort of serious look. As if he wasn't just on a wall that spawned. Right. I think it's important maybe just to briefly set up the plot in case anybody's never seen this oh, movie. Yeah. Basically, the way this movie works is Abbott and Costello play luggage check people. I think they're at like a train depot. Yeah. And so, so they were handlers. the cargo 
handlers. Sure, that make, that's better than luggage it was, because some it was of it's more not cargo luggage. Than straight up luggage. Yeah, so they would check stuff in at the depot and check it out to people who it belonged to. And well, there's a uh, house of horrors in the town expecting a very important delivery, <laughs> and he's supposed to have. I, I guess what he thinks is a wax figure of Dracula and yeah. a wax figure of Frankenstein. I guess. Or he might be thinking he's got the mortal remains of both and he's going to put them on display. Because that used to be a thing. All he sees are dollar signs. Yeah. So he has these two very important boxes. And they get delivered and you get a really nice scene like in the House of Horrors with Costello getting spooked by everything. And wouldn't you know it, coming out of these crates is an actual monster. <laughs> Now. You know that person you said that there's no such person? Yes. I think he's in there, in person. Bella Gosi, he's back, folks, is coming out of the crate and, like, sitting up as and then, Dracula. Yeah, and Costello keeps seeing him and calling. So, Call, so Abbott has Abbott. gone away, and, you know, he's trying to unpack another box. And he keep, one of my favorite moments is he's walking away, and Costello says to him, I've got just two words to say to you. Hurry back. <laughs> you know, and it, there's a whole an awful lot of that silliness, and I'm not doing it justice. Sure. But basically, it's that classic trope of, like, one character keeps seeing something mm-hmm. that the other person's not seeing. And, and this is to varying degrees. Like, this is very funny, because we're all watching Dracula's, like, fingers come out of it and push up on the casket, so the candle's sliding across the casket. The and he's candle like, gag. Oh, 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 oh. you know, he's freaking yeah. out, and Abbott comes back, and he's like, What? There's nothing here. Shut up about it and do your job. There's something else that's going on simultaneously, is that a beautiful dame seems to have eyes for Costello. Boy, I'm floating on a cloud of love. And there's a nice bit where uh, some luggage falls on his head, and she runs to his aid. And if, when you watch it a second time, you know what she's all about. She's like, are you okay? And she starts, like, feeling his head. Oh, no, I didn't notice that. It's because she's interested in his brain. Because she needs a very simple brain. Dracula, in, enlisting the help of a mad scientist woman. Which is great. This time. Oh, and by the way, in House of Dracula, there's a hunchback woman. What? Yeah. Cool. Because why not? We, we'd had hunchback <laughs> men for several films now. Yeah, I've never seen a hunchback lady. So yeah, she's very interested in his brain because as Dracula lets her know, he needs someone simple and weak-willed. Oh, God. So that he can manipulate um, Frankenstein's monster. So by this point... Frankenstein's monster isn't a character that you really feel too sad for. Like in Bride of Frankenstein, you're like, why can't he just find a friend? And I'm actually crying. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Now he's more of just a tool for other people. He's something to be gained or lost. He's a a source of great potential power that people will fight over and kill over and almost get, and then it gets out of their hands. Right. Um, so they're as, trying... as great power tends to. So basically the evil work that's Plot. going on yeah. in this movie is that Dracula wants to have Frankenstein as a tool with which to begin to, what, take over the world for evil doings? Is sure. That, always, I guess. It's always kind of vague. Yeah, it's pretty vague. But basically he wants to use this creature for power and is using this mad doctor lady to help him put a simple, weak-willed brain into Frankenstein so he can command it to do what he wants. And whose brain do. could be weaker than Costello's? That's right. But of course things don't go as planned for the mad doctor. Nope. Lon Chaney, a.k.a. the Wolfman, comes into town to help put a stop to it. Because that's what he's up to these yeah. days. First he calls and hilarity ensues. Because he turns into a wolf and's like, hey, you're calling long distance just to let me talk to your dog. <laughs> you didn't reverse the charges, did you? 
And then he has to be locked into his hotel room. And then Costello goes over because he forgot something. And oh, God, I was just shaking the, my head the, the whole man. time in that scene. I'm just, he tells him, don't come back for any reason. Keep this door locked. And not 30 seconds later, he's like, he forgot his bags. I'm going to go over there. Yeah. Oh, God, what a moron. <laughs> anyway, so ultimately, you've got the Wolfman trying to stop all of this. And you've got Costello, who is mooning over this dame. And they wind up. At a at masquerade ball. A masquerade ball. And then from there... To the all, island. On the, the castle on an island. By the way, this all takes place in Florida. One of those Florida castles you see so often. <laughs> yeah. And in this one, you actually do get to see uh, the wolfman fights Dracula, finally. Because it's like getting him in the same room has been such a chore. Yeah. And when you say why Frankenstein in the title... Um, Abbott and Costello do sort of go up against Frankenstein more than they go up against... That's true. ...other monsters. By the way, this time played by Glenn Strange. Glenn Strange, yeah. Who, Frankenstein had been played by Lon Chaney. He'd been played by Bela Gossi. He'd been played by Boris Karloff. If you want a story of a universal monster actor that doesn't sort of end in tragedy... Mm-hmm. I mean, Karloff went off to be a charming old man, mm-hmm. but, you know, the Lugosi Playing story... Playing Santa Claus. Yeah, but they all sort of seem to have, like, complicated relationships with the monsters they played. Whereas Glenn Strange was like, I get to be the monster! And there's a lot of great photos of Frankenstein's monster, like, holding a mermaid and holding, like, a bunch of girls and hanging out with them and, like, dancing with them. Because Glenn Strange, in between takes, would, like, go out onto the lot and see who he could have fun with. Really? Yeah. My favorite Glenn Strange tidbit, i.e. one of the only ones I really found in my limited research, is that, uh, and thankfully I read this before I watched the movie because I was able to watch with this in mind. Okay. But there's a moment where Costello sits down on the monster's lap, not knowing he's sat down on his lap. He just thinks he's sitting in a chair. Yeah. And Costello puts his hand down on the arm of the chair, but it's the monster's hand. And as Costello gradually realizes and starts huffing and puffing and, like, freaking out that he's sitting on the lap of a monster, you can see Glenn Strange just barely crack a smile. Because apparently there were multiple ruined takes because Glenn Strange found... Some exist. ...found... Lou Costello. Lou Costello yeah. to be so funny that he he kept ruining takes because he just couldn't help himself because he, he was laughing, which yeah. I love so much because that makeup could not have been comfortable. But True. he was having a great time. <laughs> so when the Wolfman fights Dracula, how does Dracula fight the Wolfman? Mostly by throwing things at him. Throwing things and then running away. Yeah. But I, my favorite moment was Bela Lugosi comes out onto a balcony, turns around, grabs like a vase or something, throws it into the building at the Wolfman. Yeah. Turns around, um, morphs into a cartoon bat, flies away, and then mm-hmm. Wolf, the Wolfman comes out to like grab him over the balcony and just mm-hmm. Whoa, well, like tumbles. I had to watch it more than once. Uh, Dracula doesn't get away. I mean, in the end of the day, I'm sure he did. Right. But the Wolfman gets the bat. And then the oh, two of them. Tumble into bat the water. and Wolf head down to the dangerous waters below. Taking us to a delightful tag at the end. Now that we've seen the last of Dracula, the Wolfman and the monster, there's nobody to frighten us anymore. Oh, that's too bad. I was hoping to get in on the excitement. Who said that? Allow me to introduce myself. I'm the Invisible Man. <laughs> so, Voiced so by pleased. Vincent Price. Vincent Price, who had played uh, Son of the Invisible Man. Oh, my gosh. At that point. Yeah, but by the way, he doesn't like, say anything other than, like, hello. He, he's like, like he's, he's not being unfriendly. No, no. Um, now, Frankenstein's death. 
by the way, they didn't pull any punches there. They burned him. That was pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, you could tell it, it was definitely not a person in like a fire suit. It was definitely a, yeah, it was, like, it was, a dummy. like a dummy. But it was, I mean, I, I know what you're saying, which is conceptually like storyline wise. Like he's, you know, it's pretty violent. Yeah. Well, and that was just up there with they didn't skimp on the makeup. They didn't skimp on the effects. The animation, which you're like, animation's cartoons. But it was good. Where no, it was really amazing. Where the bat would turn into Dracula and vice versa. And sometimes you'd see it. And it would be like an animated Belagosi for like a second, and then it would be real Belagosi. I thought it was really effective. Yeah. Really cool. But you would also get just sort of like the shadow on the wall of the man turning into the bat and then the bat flying away, which they later used for Monster Squad. Oh, I did notice that. It was very yeah. much, I was like, oh, oh, that morph is kind of the same. Yeah. Which, I guess, brings us to Monster Squad. Once upon a time, it was one monster per movie. Those were the good old days. We're the Monster Squad. Only one way to kill a werewolf. The Monster Squad, rated PG-13. The Monster Squad. 1987, mm-hmm. I watched for the first time just the other night. I saw in the theater, so I would have been 11. The Monster Squad is near-perfect viewing for children, I think. I just mean, as far as the elements that you and I have always talked about when it comes to kids and horror, the idea of kids being put upon and nobody believes them, which is beautifully played out in the moment with the little kid saying, daddy, daddy, there's a monster in my closet. And the dad goes and opens the closet, but doesn't look behind him. And sure enough, there's a mummy back there and the kid's just covering his eyes. And he's like, no, will you please just go to bed? You know, nobody believes the kids. This is just the plight of being a kid. And so, especially with horror, it's cool for kids. It's this really wonderful fantasy fulfillment to see kids on the screen Mm -hmm. knowing things and being badasses. And it's in its purest form in this movie. Hey, fat kid. Good job. My name is Horace. I had never seen Monster Squad, so I'm going to assume that there are going to be people listening who haven't seen it. Okay. And by the way, I posted on my own Instagram account that I was watching Monster Squad, and a bunch of people were like, whoa, I have to go watch it again. I haven't seen it in years, blah, blah, blah. Wolfman's got nards, and I didn't, you know, thanks for ruining it for me, everybody. Nope, none none at all. Kind of ruined the joke. Kind of. By the way, just a little context. I went and rented Monster Squad, and then the very next day broke my toe, and... You were watching it under duress? Well... I was stuck on the couch like at midnight with my foot propped up with ice on it because it was bruising and swelling and broken. And, you know, I dried my tears and was like, well, if I'm stuck here, I might as well get something done. So I had that great, I'm a kid, I'm home from school sick kind of thing because I was all alone in the living room, everyone's asleep, and I pop in this movie. So, by the way, I think I watched it under perfect conditions, but for having seen it as a kid, since I didn't see it that way. If you're going to watch it as an adult, make sure... The lights are out. Yes. So what I was presented with, sick on the couch, eating popsicles with my broken toe, is a group of kids who are pretty monster savvy. They have a monster club. They have a monster club. Which is what I caught this time. Uh, They don't become the monster squad 
until they until realize they the monsters action. are real yeah. and decide to start fighting them. But they're cool kids. The kind of main kid has a red shirt with yellow lettering that says Stephen King rules, which by the way, I had seen that shirt I thought you liked that. on people before and I didn't understand that that was a reference. I just thought it was a cool shirt you and now like, I want yeah, one. Yeah, right, he does. I, exactly. Buy this garment and I guarantee you'll be perceived as a man of distinction by the ladies. So these kids have a monster club and there are a couple like 12 year old boys and then a kind of younger boy and then yeah. a five-year-old girl who's the younger sister of one of the boys, of the main kid. Mm-hmm. And she's always wants to play, poor little Phoebe. And they're like, get out of here, snot face. Which I really relate to because I grew up with a brother who was about six and a half years older than me. And I Lovely always wanted to house. play. And they wouldn't let me play. And That would have turned around if you'd shown up with Frankenstein. I know. Which is what happens which is what happens felt contrived when i was a kid no but now you realize it's a great reference yeah frankenstein really does love kids i thought it was just like well one of them has to love kids and it's probably not gonna be the mummy i let frankenstein do it yeah no i love that's a guy who loves children i love that moment so much so usually backfired because the movie begins like a hundred years ago Mm. and you're seeing a flashback sequence and you learn over the course of the film that good and evil are in kind of a flux all the time except for once every hundred years there's this amulet that glows and if the amulet's destroyed during this very specific time then evil can win out but a vortex can show up and suck up evil if you're with the amulet and a virgin reads these words out of van helsing's diary out loud. Everybody getting this so far? So then these kids find out that this stuff's going on now and that they have to stop it. And you guys, Dracula might be here too. Oh man, fat kid farted. So the kids have to rise to the occasion. They go to... I want to talk about this one moment that just, I couldn't believe it. I want to know if if anything registered for you as a kid. Where they want to go ask this creepy German neighbor. Scary German guy. Scary German guy for him to help translate. They never uh, say his real name, by the way. He's no. in the credits as Scary German Guy. That's great. And they're standing outside his house, and one of them says out loud, like, how do you say, please don't kill me in German? And he's like, Bita? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Up behind them, and they're like, <gasps> but of course, he's a friendly German man who mm-hmm. invites them in. And I, God, there are so many amazing moments in this movie that are just beautifully edited and comedically timed you hear him say your time is almost up and i'm like oh no he's gonna murder the kids i mean i didn't really think that but then the next moment he's like he has a um, knife yeah he has a knife and he goes it's your last chance to eat some pie and it's uh it, there are a lot of really really adorable moments like that and, and th- th- then it ends with uh, he's like you thought i was some kind of monster no this is the point i want to get at oh yeah go for it so as the last kid is leaving the house he turns around to the old german man and says you sure do know a lot about monsters and then the old German man says, I suppose I do. And then it's a close-up, semi, kind of a close-up on his hand, closing the door. And you see a tattoo on his arm. A concentration camp. And I of numbers. couldn't believe, because the music's kind of spooky. So I thought, is it going to be, ooh, he's creepy? Like, oh, he's creepy. No, he's not. And then the final reveal is going to be, he's creepy. Like, so I was like, actually Dracula the whole time or right. something. So it took me a mask. moment to realize as they go in on his hand, shutting the door and hold on it. And there's kind of spooky music mm-hmm. to go. He's got something on his. <gasps> and I, I thought, wow, that wouldn't register with any kids. No kids. I... Or would it if you're a kid in the okay, 80s? I was 11. And did you know? I knew. I knew that numbers on the wrist. I'd seen like. A documentary. Yeah. When I was a kid. So I knew about the, the, the tattoos on the it wrist. It broke my heart. 
this and moment. so I was like, oh, he was one of the German Jewish prisoners. And from that, I think, I mean, I was, I was pretty young. I was, I was 11. And then it's on to the next scene. So you don't have long to dwell on it. You don't at all. But part of me actually thought that because he would have been in Europe back in the day, maybe it would turn out that he'd be like, so Dracula, we meet again. <laughs> it was nothing so extreme. But in fact, that like, here's a guy who'd seen the worst of humanity. And so when children come to him with this outlandish idea, he's the adult that helps them. Right. Because he lived through the... Real horror. The real horror. And he lived through the, it couldn't happen here. Something that, like, even as an adult, I forget about people in the Holocaust is, you know, they, they couldn't believe yeah. that it would happen. Yeah. I mean, the Who level, the, the level uh, yeah. of that. All the things you just said hit me all at once as soon as I realized what I was being, the information that was being delivered to me. Mm-hmm. And my heart just, it just, like, contracted. I was like, oh, my God, this sweet old man that, like, he knows everybody's afraid of him. Yeah. And what he's been through. And I was just like, and they don't let you linger on it. They just move on to the next scene. And I was like, ah, oh, God. By the way, I'd like to look at the monsters themselves for a second. Uh, Dracula doesn't look like Bela Lugosi's Dracula. But he does look like, like the Dracula's nowadays don't look like Bela Lugosi, but they do look like each other. Like we've sort of adopted this sort of slim, tall, not too tall Dracula with the uh, with the medallion with, with like inside the lining of the cape. The inside of the lining of the cape red. is red. He's got the like I guess a sash. Yeah. Or something. The dad in Hocus Pocus dresses yeah. up as Dracula, and he looks like this Dracula. Yeah. Very he's much. He's sort of become the copyright-free version of Dracula. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure exactly when that started. <laughs> Count Floyd here. <laughs> there was also the Wolfman, who, like in the Universal movies that had come before, is kind of obsessed with being killed and just can't be killed Poor by anything. guy. Physically, they made his werewolf outfit look different from the Lon Chaney Wolfman, but it's a good looking... It's a really good one. Stan Winston and team. Yeah. Which, like Abbott and Costello, Meet Frankenstein, Monster Squad does not skimp on the special effects. It's pre-digital, and it all looks really good. It looks amazing. Especially, there's one good werewolf transformation we get Mm -hmm. that I was just like, whoa. Yeah. Pretty intense. Frankenstein looks good. Apparently, they, they moved the bolts up from the neck to the forehead and made a lot of other changes besides. And to avoid copyright infringement. Infringement. Yeah. Or and trademark. He's or a really good Frankenstein. Yes. Oh, um, Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan. Who I also knew from House of the Devil. I mean, he's done a lot of work, but he's great. Focus. Focus. He's a little odd. All the behind-the-scenes stuff said that he, he never appeared only, around the kids except in his makeup. The actor who did Dracula would basically not interact with the kids so they could be good and scared of him yeah, when it was time. and Frankenstein too. And Booch, by the way, I do appreciate that the kids in the movie express that they know it's Frankenstein's monster, yeah, but so they call him Yeah, so in this world, Frank. there's movies that never really get into it. So in this world, sort of concurrently, monsters are real and considered fake, and there's lots of movies about them. But then it turns out they're real. Although Creature from the Black Lagoon... It's more of a Gilman. 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 Also a really gross, cool costume. Yeah. And the way the mummy looks different from the Universal mummies is he's much smaller. He's small and wiry, but very scary. He's got that, like, gape, kind of curled mouth. And that's something we didn't bring up in our mummy episode, which is real mummies 
just like real people back in the day, tended to be small. Mm-hmm. My sister, by the way, recently went to a mummy exhibit. Her postcard's right over there, the two sarcophagi. Yes, she sent me one, too. Oh, my gosh. I know, I didn't tell you that yet. Yeah. She asked me for your address. Thanks, Jen. Yeah, it was really cool. I was like, what? A postcard? One uh, mummy, its vertebrae was removed, so it would fit in the sarcophagus. So that one was even smaller. Well, on my postcard, she told me that none of the mummies were giving the finger. Uh, (laughs) Like uh, in your experience. In my experience, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, smaller mummy, different-ish wolfman, gill man instead of creature from the Black Lagoon. And together, it's really Dracula's in charge. Mm -hmm. He's got the big plans. World domination. He's the brains. And the rest are just his muscle. Yep. I think he mostly has them around for once his plan works, they're going to be like his lieutenants Uh in this world of darkness Mm -hmm. where he would kind of run the world, I presume. But Frank's not on board. He calls him master. It seems they've had some adventures in the past. Yeah, and yet he he slips away. Where We talk about the scene where he comes up to Phoebe, the little girl. Yeah. It comes to her playing by the water, which is so iconic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I know what they're doing there. And they become friends, and she brings him to... They play dress-up. The boys. It's such a beautiful moment where she's like, look over here. And they do, and all the boys, like, the tubby kid, like, hides in the trash can, and they're all hiding, which I was like, awesome. Awesome that the little girl is the one who, they've been, like, poo-pooing this whole time, and she's the one that's not afraid of the monster. It's okay, you guys. He's friends with us. Come on, don't be chicken shit. Oh, my God. Just how, I just wanted to mention how fun the kid aspects are, and I think it just goes to what a great script and how fun mm-hmm. it is. And like, again, by the way, uh, co-written by Shane Black. Shane Black. Uh, Lethal Weapon, Kiss he, Kiss Bang Bang. But as far as kooky comedy and like just how fun the script is, there's a moment where the kids are going back and forth on um, their walkie talkies, and yeah. one of their, their there are a few insults being bandied about, and there's one kid who says something to another, and then the kid goes, "I know you are, but what am I? Out." like and i just come on i mean it's just i don't have to explain why that's perfect and i also loved deeply loved there's a moment where they're dealing with dracula inside this haunted house and the fat kid pulls out um an old slice of pizza and he pulls it out and he looks at it and he looks up at dracula and he looks back at the pizza like (laughs) oh man i really don't want to waste this pizza and then he slaps it on dracula's face because he knows there's garlic on it i I, roll i died laughing i think that was probably i mean at at the time when i was watching it as a youth it was like that's what you do you got to keep some garlic candy but i think that was probably one of the first gags written probably when they were writing this movie right just because, like, oh, when a kid fights a monster, what's what's he going to have? Well, he's going to make some things in a in wood shop and garlic pizza because yeah. kids love pizza. Yeah. So the only other thing, I mean, I we could talk for, we could do a whole podcast on Monster Squad because there are so many yeah. things in it that are amazing. But I will freely admit, and I, I get, I can, I'm very emotional, but I wasn't super attached to this movie. Like, I'm not sure if I'll need to watch it more than one other time again. It was sure. fun, but I didn't connect with it early As in life. As an adult, you don't have any nostalgia for it. No. You just liked it for what it was. I really liked it. But there's a moment, there's a shot of Frankenstein's face as the... As of the monster's face as the, the, the vortex, vortex is starting to open up. And it's before he's saying goodbye to her. And it's like there's a moment where, and, and just God bless Tom Noonan, where he's... He's happy, but he knows what it means that these people have succeeded. He knows it means he's going to go away in a minute. 
And I can't prove that. It's just brilliant acting. Yeah. And maybe me projecting a little. But there's this giant vortex and wind is blowing and all these monsters are getting sucked up into the vortex. And the little five-year-old girl is holding on to the park bench. And there's other moments in this movie that have endeared us to the Frankenstein monster, like him looking at the mask of himself and going, scary? And your heart just breaks because he's yeah. realizing, oh, no, people uh, think I'm scary. A level of Frankenstein they stopped really caring about after, like, Bride. Right. Which also made me cry, by the way. You know that. Bride yeah. Frankenstein. So they took us through, like, sun, ghost, house, meet Wolfman. Mm-hmm. So, all, all without really concentrating on his loneliness. Mm-hmm. And now Monster Squad's back to remind us of it. So he starts getting sucked away. And she's grabbed. She, her tiny hands are grabbed onto his big fingers. And she says, please don't go. Don't go. And he says, bye, Phoebe. It goes flying away. And I ugly cried out loud watching that <laughs> there was some serious sobbing going on like because it and, just and then, then she, she ripped me scraps. apart i know i know i probably just like just layered it even further oh my god you were probably <sighs> still crying as the rap song awkwardly summarized the plot <laughs> oh man i'm a big fan though of rap songs songs in general but rap songs in movies that summarize the plot yeah deeply wonderful Now, today, before you came over, I had a little while, I could have watched Van Helsing, the uh, yeah. movie that came out a few years ago, where they re reunited Frankenstein's monster and Dracula and a wolfman. But rather than do that, I watched an episode of Route 66. Okay. The episode is called Lizard's Leg and Owlet's Wing, and you can find it on YouTube. And what that did was it got together Peter Lorre, Boris Karloff, and Lon Chaney Jr. What? All playing themselves as horror icons, but in the 60s. So they're 20 years past their prime. Sure. And they're getting together to discuss a TV deal that they're all involved with. And the big debate is, can their old monster ways still scare people? Or is it all about space monsters now? We can't rely on hair on our faces, nodules on our foreheads, or any of the old bag of tricks. Which, that was really, that was the divide. Mm. The classic Universal Monsters gave way to the giant insects and the really anything to do with the atom bomb or atomic power. That really took over. Oh, speaking of the atom bomb, uh, this episode also aired during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Wow. 1962, same week that the Monster Mash was number one. Big, uh, big week for real and imagined fears. <laughs> I'd have to say. The episode itself, it's kind of fun. There is some, uh, what I'm calling sort of toothless jokes. Please, at, at, at please elaborate. You know, they make jokes about them being monsters, but none of them are real digs at their... Sure characters has anyone ever told you there's a striking resemblance between you and you'll excuse me sir peter laurie that's pretty insulting isn't it what they decide to do is you get karloff dressed up like frankenstein again and you get lon cheney jr dressed up like the mo- um well, actually the mummy for a little bit and then again as the wolfman as they 
test out if their brand of scary still works with people today. Is it as satisfying as seeing the Wicked Witch of the West again in that in and, that in, in Halloween Paul in Paul's Halloween, Halloween special? special? <laughs> it is that satisfying. Awesome. Yes, there's a convention of secretaries at the same hotel. So they uh, go in for the old school scares and that's find that they're pleased with their results. So fun. That's yeah. really fun. Yeah, it is. Right now, we'd like to introduce our, our lead singer, Mr. Boris Love. Boris is all ready to do his favorite song. We can get a couple green lights on his face. Sing a song called The Monster Mash. I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight When my monster from a slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the match! He did the monster match! We could go on and on. There's lots of instances post- Abbott Costello oh, Frankenstein. Well, we could talk about Alien versus Predator and Freddy versus Jason and, you know, yeah. more modern. I was going to watch those, but I also broke a bone this week. Yeah. But I also kind of was glad that we've stuck to classic monsters. Sure. And just within the classic monsters, if you go looking up Monster Squad on YouTube, you might find Monster Squad 1976, which was a TV show. Oh, no kids. Right. Uh, there's a guy who works in a wax museum and the wax figures come to life and they solve crimes. Cool. It's pretty great. And it only lasted one year. And then the next year, the guy went on to be on the love boat. Oh. There was a thing called Drax Pack, where young monsters led by the old Dracula go out and they solve mysteries. And then you've just got the monster serials and, and they all seem to be living in the same house. <laughs> and then you just see them like in commercials for products <laughs> where like have a blockbuster night. It's a howl. And it's all of them watching TV together. And... It just seems to be really great when you see all of these monsters getting along. They took the monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. It was hard And also, I think if you're young and kind of scared of monsters, it relieves some of that fear just to see them all at a mash. A monster mash. Yeah. The monster mash is so cool. <laughs> and neither of us watch Monster High. Yeah, but that's I'm pretty true. sure there's a lot of uh, monsters going to high school. That's true. Occasionally having mashes of their own. I've seen clips from it. it oh, okay. Looks, it's pretty fun. I always just accidentally Google it when Googling something else. I think Matthew's really into it. Yeah. I'm, I think he knows it pretty well. I could be wrong, sense. but Matthew, if that's not true, write to us at boysandghouls at gmail.com. And any of you. Any of you can write to us at boysandghouls at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook. Check that out. Follow us on Pinterest or if you find us on Tumblr. Instagram, cat. Oh, yeah. We're handles our Instagram Boys account. and Ghouls podcast. We're out there and so are you, but we'd love to you know find out just who you are. Yeah. All right, cat. Well, until next time. Beware the moon. Beware.